So we lived on a farm. My daddy was a sharecropper that actually um, raised crops on the land. He also worked at Hunter Fan and was a side shade tree mechanic. So when I talk about work with a capital W, <laughs> our family was all about work. For me, what I'm most thankful for growing up is growing up in a family of faith. The Bible is not full of superheroes. The Bible is not full of saints. What the Bible is full of is stories of ordinary people like you and me. And when they trust the Lord, do extraordinary things. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Bartholomew Orr, my dear friend. He has an open invitation anytime. <laughs> Thanks always, Byron. How you doing? I am doing great. Even in the midst of the pandemic and all that we have going on, the, the blessings of the Lord, oh my goodness, is new every morning. Yes. And you've been on since the pandemic started. We've had some time to, to yes. share with our listeners, but really excited about this new book, Ordinary Lessons, Seven Principles for an Extraordinary Life, by you, Dr. Bartholomew Orr. Well, and I probably put the pen to paper, but what I love about it, it is coming from the Bible and from what I've learned just uh, in looking at the Word of God. So I'm, I'm excited God ultimately Amen. Amen. <laughs> wrote the principles. Well, Bart, for those who are listening for the first time and hearing about you in this book, uh, you, of course, are the senior pastor at Brown Missionary Baptist Church in South Haven, where you have been since 1989. You're also the founder of Bartholomew Orr Ministries. You and your wife, Valerie, married for 30 years now. I guess yes. you're Moving into what thirty one? Hey, we just celebrated thirty in August this past August. Okay. So, so this has been a a great momentous year <laughs> of twenty twenty. Of course, uh, I know the big blessing for the Orr home are those four kids and the grandkids too. Yes, four sons, two daughter in laws, uh, four grandchildren, and one of those grandchildren is a granddaughter. So we finally got the little girl. <laughs> got the little girl uh, after all of these years. They love hanging around us, being at our house, and so that really really just sweetens our heart. And we're organizing the upstairs kind of playroom. It's like when you get grandkids, they kind of get their own space That's in your right. house, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and they have it. They have it. They definitely have it. You know, it's just an incredible story of Brown when you first started at 19 years old, 66 members. The church now, some 12,000 members with uh, multiple campus locations, plus some online campuses, if you will, overseas in hey, Africa. Yes. And, and I tell you, um, I was sharing with our missions ministry that I would love for us to start some virtual churches in Africa. And, and we just have some thoughts and ideas about doing that even in the midst of this pandemic. Well, I love the history of Brown. I always like to share it. In 1882, the church was founded by former, former slaves. Former slaves. And 138 years later, God has yet blessed that church. And I, I believe it is because of the preaching, teaching, standing on the Word of God, yes. and then the faithfulness of His people to remain true to the Lord. Of course, another thing that stands out to me about Brown is that you're not contained in the fishbowl. You believe in getting the members out in the community. You guys are focused on serving in so many ways. You know, one of the expressions I like to say is, how can we take the Word of God and do the work of God in the world around us? Bart, you were the youngest of seven children. Did you get 
picked on or blamed a lot for your uh, older siblings' mishaps? <laughs> no, actually, um, you know, with with them spread out that far, yeah. um, I really didn't get a chance to live that long. By the time I was getting up in age, uh, most of my older brothers and sisters were already graduating okay. and and moving on. But um, but my my siblings did not pick on me, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm thankful for that. I would love to be a fly on the wall in the or home, especially at dinner time around the dinner table. Do you recall some of those conversations? Oh my goodness, Byron, you're talking, you know, you're talking about a, a family that farmed. So we lived on a farm. My daddy was a sharecropper that actually um, raised crops on the land. He also worked at Hunter Fan and was a side shade tree mechanic. So when I talk about work, with a capital W. <laughs> Our family was all about work. For me, what I'm most thankful for growing up is growing up in a family of faith where my mother and father, they took us to Sunday school, to Bible study. Matter of fact, they made sure that we were introduced to the Lord and that we stayed in church. There was no option for opting out of church or going to church. And so it was in that kind of environment that I was raised. And I believe it have made all of the difference in the world to just to be taught about Jesus Christ and then to be encouraged to keep that work ethic no matter what. What are some of the practical common sense lessons that you learned from living in those humble beginnings uh, in, in a house that didn't even have running water? No running water, just four rooms in that house, no indoor toilet or plumbing. And I lived in that house. When I started pastoring Brown, I was still living in that house. 19 years old, I was a student at Christian Brothers College here in Memphis, Tennessee. I had started Christian Brothers in 87, so started pastoring in 89, and I was still living there for my first year of pastoring. I did not move out of that home uh, till December of 1989. Wow, that's beautiful. (laughs) Do you think it's important not to move too far away from those humble beginnings as a mindset, even though you're now able to enjoy many conveniences, including running water? Well, you, you mentioned about, you know, just some practical lessons that I learned. Being humble was one of those lessons. I mean, that is what my daddy taught me over and over again. Boy, whatever you do, don't don't let people put you up on a pedestal because if they put you on a pedestal, when they get tired of you and daddy said they will get tired of you, they're going to bring you down. But if you humble yourself in due season, God will exalt you. And so even at Brown now, our three values, excellence, integrity, humility. Byron, I learned all three of those characteristics and values at home. It was my mother uh, who taught me the value of excellence. Whatever you do, do it with excellence. Whatever you strive for in life, give it your best. Give it your all. Mama them also taught us, look, don't you preach one thing and then live another way. Because I started preaching when I was 11 years old. But I started teaching Bible class in Sunday school even before then. My goodness. Well, as I mentioned, at 19, you started pastoring Brown, a 66-member church at that time. Do you remember what soon became your priorities and maybe some of your goals as you stepped into that role? Well, when I started there, 19, our little quote was, we're going to be a church with a vision, a church that ministered 
to the whole person, spiritually, financially, physically. We wanted to be a church that ministered to the whole person. And so right out the bat, we started things such as a financial awareness ministry. We started making sure that we were ministering to the needy in the community as well, going outside the walls, doing things, as well as just creating that family atmosphere within the church. Did you have a a group of core people, maybe wise older men and women around you that help put input there? Because you don't typically think of a 19-year-old stepping into a role like that and being able to handle that responsibility. What I'm so grateful for, and my goodness, in terms of chairman of the deacons, I think I'm on number four in 31 years. (laughs) But I had a group of wise men such as Ernest Garth, who was chairman of the deacons at that particular time. Jesse James Smith uh, was another deacon. He later became chairman of the deacons. But it was such spiritual men like that. And here's what they told the church. We're the oldest men here in this church, but we are all looking to Pastor Orr as the oldest man in this church because we're going to follow his leadership. And so when I would preach, Brother Garth, I still remember, he oftentimes would have his Bible open and just right going right down with me as I preached the Word of God. Uh, Deacon Jesse James Smith talking about a strong uh, warrior and was in the Word, in Bible class, in Sunday school. Um, he traveled with me a lot of times uh, when I was going out preaching and so forth. And so When you talk about men that surrounded me, poured into me, yes, I'm so thankful for those early men and women of the church that really embraced uh, what we were trying to accomplish at Brown. I love that, Dr. Orr. How much does the growth of a church's ministry depend on the personal and spiritual maturity of its pastor and leadership? I truly believe that the church takes on the DNA of the pastor. That's a good thing in the sense that God has uniquely called the pastor to shepherd his people. And so as Jeremiah chapter 3 reminds us, he gives us pastor after his own heart. I believe that's the reason why you have so many unique, different kinds of churches, because God wants to make sure no one have an excuse to say that I can't find the right church. At the same time, as pastors, we need to always caution ourselves just to make sure that we are staying in line with the Word of God. I guess it's also a challenge, too, maybe a fine line that you balance your own personal leadership skills. You have a charismatic personality and making sure that that is tempered with, like you said, the humbleness, the teaching of God's word. Some pastors would have to be careful that their personality doesn't become the forefront. Right. We have to keep the cross yes. <laughs> at the center of everything that we do and making sure that we're always lifting up Jesus. I mean, that's what Jesus said. If I be lifted up, yes. I will draw all men. And so we have to make sure that we keep the cross in Christ as the centrality of all that we do. Growing up, your mom couldn't afford expensive birthday presents. No. She once gave you a pencil with a globe on top of it. How special was that gift for you? My goodness. It was real special because of the fact that when Mama gave me that pencil sharpener with the globe, little old globe, and it wasn't, you know, I mean, I'm just talking about just a couple of inches in height there. And yet she starts spinning that globe and said, son, I believe God is going to do something special for you and that he's going to take you places. And as your world turn, keep your eyes 
on Jesus. Oh. And for mama to say that, I think I was 12 years old when I'm getting this gift. You know, for mama to say that, and we're still living where we're living, many would say, hey, how in the world are you going to see the world? And I never forget, it was the year 2014 that literally I stepped on every continent but Australia <laughs> <laughs> in that one year. And matter of fact, that's the last continent. Well, Antarctica, I used Alaska for Antarctica, but Australia is the, the final continent that I've not been to. But even in that year, we started a partnership even on the Australian continent. I love that because parents have such power speaking words of affirmation into their kids, right? They really do. And so I appreciate my parents, Willie James Orr Sr. He's deceased. He's gone on to be with the Lord. But my mom, Laureen Orr, and mama is a member of our church. Yes, she is. Matter of fact, she called me this morning. <laughs> so we got a chance to talk this morning. So checking on yesterday's sermon? Hey, she did approve of yesterday's sermon. So, uh, yes. You know, one thing I love about your mom, too, because I have been at several events at Brown where meals are served at fellowship, a luncheon, yes. and your mom was right there greeting people, right. making sure everybody was filling at home. What oh, yes. Sweet, sweet, sweet mama. Oh, my goodness. Sweet mama. Uh, did you ever think that another human being like your wife, Valerie, could know all of your secrets and still love you. <laughs> no, that's why that's why she's my wife, and and that, that's why whatever she says is always yes, 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 yes. You know, I'm grateful. When I start talking about favor, and I start talking about an extraordinary life, Byron, I'll give you a case in point, just a little quick story. August '87, I go to Christian Brothers freshman, and freshman orientation is when I meet Valerie. We met, and that particular time, I told one of my former teachers, I said, you know what? I met the girl I'm going to marry. Now, that's August 1987. (laughs) I'm dating somebody. She's dating somebody. But yet, it was just something about that connection that first time. It was like, okay, this, this is the one. We did not go out until January of 89. And after two dates, $99, (laughs) we did not go back out again till January of 1990. And it wasn't until April of 1990 that I started seriously pursuing her. May of 1990, we were engaged. August of 1990, we were married. So I tell folks, I pursued her for three weeks. And she said yes, and three months later we were married, and it's been 30 years. 30 blissful years. Yes. (laughs) Bart, how do you find the balance between preaching a theologically sound sermon in a theatrical fashion? Because you have been known to fly across the sanctuary. (laughs) I hope that even with the theatrics, and I I sometimes use some theatrics, I hope that even with the theatrics, that the message is what is really getting across. When I look at Jesus Christ, he dramatized many of his sermons, many of his lessons. Uh, He was always using some analogies with them. So he's my perfect example for using props in a sermon. And again, you just have to always make sure that the word 
remains the center of what you're trying to communicate. Keeping the word, keeping the cross, the focus. Yes, yeah. at all times. Even when I was coming from the sky <laughs> or coming from the balcony, the message was, he's coming again. Jesus Christ is coming again. Will you be ready when he returned? Now, Byron, in that little 90 seconds has been played and replayed and posted. Landed and, you an opportunity and, on the Steve Harvey on show. On the Steve Harvey show. Here's what my nephew said, Unc. I'm so grateful that even on the Steve Harvey show, you were able to mention the name of Jesus seven times. I don't even know how many times I mentioned it. I was so honored to know you were my friend on national TV and talking about the Lord the way you did. And they played the clip (laughs) and the message that folks heard, even as they probably saw me coming, was still (laughs) Jesus is coming again. And I do believe he is returning. Amen. Well, as you know, many people are experiencing grief during the COVID-19 pandemic. There are those who are unable to be with a loved one when they die or unable to mourn someone's death in person with friends and family. Other types of loss include unemployment or not making enough money, loss or reduction in support services and other changes in lifestyle. I know you're faced with this. You're in the middle of this with your people. What word do you have for heavy-hearted, confused and grieving listeners that are impacted with this pandemic? You know, what comes to my mind is Paul and Silas in jail, bloody, beaten and yet the bible says at midnight they sang and prayed to the lord at the end of the day with everything that is going on even what you're feeling god is still on the throne he is still sovereign and he still deserves our praise and our prayers and we can trust him and look to him and depend upon him to see us through even this time And that's really one of the reasons, too, why this book is out now. You know, we were in the midst of uh, writing this book and and then in the midst of trying to get it published. And, of course, COVID-19 hit and everything literally came to a screeching halt. And so we want to make sure that we use this even as an opportunity to encourage so many that have been affected by COVID-19 as a pastor. Byron, you know, all of those things that you mentioned I have witnessed as a pastor multiple deaths that I've had to funerals that I've had to preach of individuals uh, that died with COVID-19. And some multiple uh, family members. Multiple family members as well that have dealt with it and, and had multiple deaths within their family members. So when you, when you talk about as a pastor, uh, my goodness, um, a couple of weeks ago, I literally had six funerals, had six funerals within from a Friday to a Sunday where I preached four of those funerals. And so we are constantly uh, reminded that these are our critical times, and uh, yet God gives us grace. Brown Church has poured over a million dollars of support into the economy through mobile food pantries, support of schools and families and ministries in need. Some say the church is always asking people to give them money, not giving away over a million dollars. Well, our philosophy is, as we have asked our members to tithe, 
we want to tithe. And so every year we try to just make sure that we are giving back over 10 percent of what we receive in. And so we're grateful to God um, that he has blessed us with faithful stewards that enable us to be a blessing. Going back to one another, one of these practical lessons mama taught me years ago, boy, God blesses you to be a blessing to others. Another area that you address in your book is dealing with disputes. What have been some of the more challenging disputes you've had to deal with in your ministry? I tell Brown, so this is nothing new, but I tell them that my hardest job in pastoring is refereeing. <laughs> so so how do you keep everybody on the same page? And of course, I pastor Baptist people. So, you know, what's going to be the color of the attire that we're going to wear for the special day? You name it, we've had disagreements, but yet it has been challenging yet rewarding to see God keep us moving in the same direction. Well, so what are some of the steps in walking through some of those areas? What, what do you oh typically goodness. do? Well, again, Matthew, uh, using what Jesus said, if somebody has, if you have a fault against someone, first of all, go to that person individually and go to that person personally, privately. Try to work it out that way. When that does not happen, now is the time to take one or two others with you in order to establish uh, the issue. If that still doesn't work, the Lord says, okay, then take it to the church where that person is treated really as a way to try to win that person back, where you can pray for that person and try to win that person back. I haven't had to church too many folks out <laughs> uh, in, in 31 years, but but I'm, I'm grateful that God has allowed us to bring people to the table. In my older age, I'm doing that even more early on instead of, hey, you know what? Let's all just come to the table. Yes. And let's try to talk it out and, and try to work it out. Because, again, we serve the Prince of Peace. Amen. And we should be able to experience that kind of peace within our own lives. Of the seven things that you highlight in your book, what was one of the more fun ones for you to write about? Oh, my goodness. Okay, you said fun. I thought you were about to say favorite ones. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, fun and favorite, I think it would go hand in hand. Okay. Uh, that quote that you started off with, Valerie, uh, the other day, asked me what was my favorite quote of the book. I believe it would have to be that one in terms of when I look at the Bible. I don't see superheroes or super saints, but rather ordinary men who, with the help of God, accomplish extraordinary things. So it was fun for me to write about that because when I actually preached that, I was wearing a Superman <laughs> shirt. <laughs> We've talked about poverty, and I know you grew up in poverty. That can cause stress. Give us a realistic look into someone's home living in this type of condition. What are they looking at each day? I'm thankful because in the midst of our poverty, we were po. We, we say we were po. We didn't even have the other O-R. It, it was just po for us. <laughs> but we had the necessities. So we lived on a farm. We did a lot of farming. So we always had something to eat. And that was a blessing. I mean, we could go and pull some ears of corn and things of that nature. And even in the midst of our poverty, here's what was so interesting. We still shared with others. So mama would have us picking peas and pulling ears of corn in order to share with others. So you're poor because you cannot get a lot of the extra things 
in life. Right. But we're so grateful that we had the necessities, food on the table. We had a roof over our head, even though it was a tin roof that leaked <laughs> in, in the back room. It was a roof over our head. But Byron, here, here is one thing that I would say, because there are so many that still live in poverty. Education is what my parents really stressed to us and really instilled within us. Look, to break this cycle of poverty, stay in school, get your education. Here's what mama would tell me, and I'm sorry if I have to keep reminding myself of all of these things, but she said, boy, put something in your head because what you put in your head, no one can take away. And that always stuck with me. That was my thing that, Lord, look, I'm going to use education to try to get up out of this situation that I was in. So uh, when I went to Christian Brothers, I was majoring in electrical engineering just for the mere fact that I wanted to be able to make some money in life only for God through, um, oh, my goodness, one of my professors, Dr. Margaret Sather, who actually encouraged me to write. Uh, She was my freshman humanities professor. She said, Bart, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Don't try to go to school and and, um, stay in something just for the money. You follow your heart. And when she said that, I actually had, had switched my major from electrical engineering to marketing to accounting. But when she really honed in on me to follow my heart, I switched to humanities and wow. actually graduated with humanities. And yet God has blessed and sustained. <laughs> yes, yes, that is wonderful. Well, you've dedicated your new book, Ordinary Lessons, to everyone affected by COVID-19. What's the one thing you want readers to discover to take away from your book? Again, God have called us. Jesus said it best. I've come that you might have life and may have it more abundantly. God wants each one of us to live the victorious life. Amen. Well, the book is called Ordinary Lessons, Seven Principles for an Extraordinary Life by Dr. Bartholomew Orr. It's available at the church website, www.brownbaptist.org, in our bookstore. Fantastic. Great. Bart, God bless you. Thank you so much for what you continue to invest in Christ's kingdom. Thanks for stopping by. Congratulations on this new book. And I have your your signed copy here that I'm giving to you. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to reading it. I enjoyed watching you sign the book. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Today's Mid-South Viewpoint is brought to you by Navage. Just think about all the nasty stuff we breathe in every day. You know, the dust, allergens, bacteria, pollen, pollution. You know the things in Memphis here. What are we breathing? Well, if you wash your hands and brush your teeth every day, then why aren't you cleaning your nose to clean out all that junk that's trapped up in there? Let me tell you about this product. If you suffer from allergies, sinus infections, or are worried about what you're breathing in, it's called Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. What's Navage? Well, it's the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. People that have suffered from lifelong allergies call Navage a complete game changer. They are breathing more clearly, sleeping better, snoring less, 
less and feeling a whole lot better. In fact, 90% of people who use Navage report feeling healthier. Now with cold and flu season just around the corner, why not make Navage part of your daily health routine? Experience what it's like to truly breathe better, sleep deeper, and feel healthier. Go ahead and visit Navage.com. That's Navage.com. Or you can find Navage at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Target. Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. 